Good morning and uh, welcome to Crossword Online. It's really great to be with you again uh, this morning as we um, greet one another in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and my prayers is that our appreciation for Jesus Christ may grow and that there's a particular aspect of that growth that we are wanting to look at today. And so my prayers is that as we read God's word, we may hear it and truly hear it with our hearts. Um, and that is really the main thrust of the section that we are looking at um, in the book of Samuel. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are working our way through the book of Samuel. We are almost at the end of what I call season two, which stretches from chapter nine to 15. Um, we are in chapter 15. We have seen the rise of Saul um, becoming the first king of Israel. And then for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the decline of Saul. Um, and uh, so today we want to zoom in on a very particular thing. So if you look at your text, uh, you will note that the end of chapter 14, which we looked at last week, um, there is a kind of a summary of uh, Saul's reign and uh, many of his uh, victories where he inflicted punishment on the enemies of God. Um, but we saw this uh, reality that uh, Saul uh, hardly ever finishes uh, anything that he really starts. And so 52 kind of summarizes it for us very well when it says that all the days of Saul's life, he was in bitter conflict with the Philistines. And so he never uh, really got rid of them. He was appointed, as you remember, specifically as God's king uh, to deal with the Philistines. Um, uh, but he failed to do that. And so what quite is interesting that after these uh, many battles, they are not described for us. Uh, and yet here we find in chapter 15 uh, a description uh, around a battle. Um, but it's really not about uh, the battle uh, with the enemies. Uh, this is a different kind of battle. A uh, battle that's in the context of a war uh, with the Amalekites. Um, but it's really a battle of the ability to hear um, the word of God. Um, and that kind of highlights for us where the author wants to show us. Why is it that Saul uh, failed? And we have been looking at the whole idea that Saul failed because he did not live by faith. And that had all sorts of repercussions for him as we looked at it last week. Uh, but this week he is almost going a little bit further uh, and taking us almost at what we would call a step further backwards. Um, why is it that Saul did not uh, believe in God? Uh, and this section of uh, Samuel uh, highlights for us this incredibly important uh, reality. And so I'm going to read for us just the first 12 verses. And so it's not too long. And then we will actually have a look and see uh, how it uh, fits together. So let's have a look and see if you can pick it up. Uh, there's some quite a number of references. And unfortunately, sometimes our translations don't always translate that to the idea of sound or voices. Um, and so uh, sounds are great, isn't it? They're amazing things. Um, uh, sometimes they're just background noise. Um, other times they we are startled and they, our attention is grabbed by noise. Uh, sometimes certain noises move us deeply, like a beautiful piece of music um, or uh, the words, uh, I love you. Um, uh, other times they upset us when I, we may hear the words, you disappoint me or I hate you. Um, so words have got incredible effect uh, on us. And uh, that's exactly uh, what, in one sense, we are looking at. We are looking at how to discern uh, different voices and which are the voices that we listen to and adhere to the most. 
And that's really in the background of what we are looking at. Next week, we'll get into a bit more detail, but let's start and pick it up there in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Sur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord, all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul had gone, has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. And so in the next little section, we're going to find is this major conversation uh, that is going to happen and it's going to help us to delve a little bit deeper uh, into what is going on. But I just wanted us to look at this first section. Um, very important, uh, this whole idea uh, of noises and voices, and that will come out next week uh, a little bit more. But the first verse really sets us up because it introduces us to the three main characters that are going to, in one sense, uh, uh, be playing out in this section. Um, but it also tells us about the relationship that these three characters have with one another. And so we are introduced to Samuel, who is the guy who's speaking. He is the prophet of God. Uh, Saul, uh, as we know, he is the king. And then there is the Lord uh, who has uh, appointed him. And so in one sense, Samuel in, sets up the whole thing very, very carefully. Uh, again, from the word go, it's almost as if he's, this is a rehash of things that we've already known, just to remind us uh, about some of the very, very important things uh, of Saul. Saul was not a man who became king uh, all by himself. He wasn't uh, uh, in the line of kings. Uh, kings was never introduced in Israel. And so there was no one before him. 
Um, and so here Samuel reminds him and he emphasizes the fact that it is him, Samuel, that uh, the Lord sent uh, to anoint him to be king. So the one first thing to notice is that it was the Lord who made Saul king. Um, and the Lord made him king through uh, his prophet. Uh, something we've seen uh, quite a bit uh, before is that uh, the prophet was standing in one sense between God and the king and the people. And uh, the whole idea was that the king would listen to God by listening to the prophet. And so there's a kind of a hierarchical power structure uh, that is uh, created for us quite clearly. And then the third thing that's very important is that Saul is reminded that he is appointed as king over God's people, over the Lord's people. And in that sense, they are not his people. Something we already saw last week in chapter 14, verse 24, uh, Saul had a little bit of a misunderstanding about that. He kept on saying, I need to avenge myself from my enemies. And here he's kind of reminded uh, in this instance, uh, setting out all the parameters very clearly that you are a unique king appointed by the Lord himself, by the Lord's unique prophet Samuel that God raised up in the first seven chapters of the book of Samuel. And you were appointed as over my people, the people I love, the people I care for, the people I have great and special plans for and fit into my actually worldwide and ultimately cosmic purposes. And so he is kind of reminding him of his um, very, very uh, privileged position, uh, but um, also about the fact that he is not the one who is in charge. And so in one sense, in that first uh, verse, we then get the major issue of what a king should do. A king who is in this position that Saul is in, um, what is the major requirement uh, for a king like that? And he tells us very nicely, he says to him, now listen to the message from the Lord. So a king who finds himself in this position as Saul has, uh, being appointed by the Lord and under his prophet, the number one thing he must have is he must have ears for the word of the Lord. The language is actually a little bit uh, more labored uh, in the original. It says, now listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. So very interesting. Uh, it's important. You must be able to distinguish the voice behind the words that comes from the Lord. And that is at heart uh, where we will see this uh, story is going. How well do you hear? And we play with that. Um, we sometimes say, I know you heard me, but did you listen? Or maybe we'll turn it around and say, I know uh, that you have been hearing me, but or you've been listening to me, but did you hear me? Uh, and so we know the distinction between those things. It's possible to hear sounds, but not distinguish them enough to pay enough attention to them to actually do what they say. Um, and that is what lies behind the, this entire event. And so here is this incredible word, a very disturbing word uh, that uh, Samuel Aksol in one sense received. But the nature, the heart of this is very important. So I just want to show you again how important it is. If you flip back in your Bibles to chapter 12, where in one sense the uh, kingship is made part of the covenant, um, this is what uh, it says should happen. And again, uh, in the NIV, the, the, the specific word is, is, is left out 
but it says here in verse 14, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey and listen to the voice of the Lord and do not rebel against his commands, and if you and the king who reigns over you listen to the Lord your God, good. But if you do not listen to the voice of the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. And so here you see very clearly uh, this whole idea is very how much higher and I'm laboring it and we'll pick we'll keep on working at it over the next two so you've got to keep that very clearly in mind how well can you hear and so here we find this incredible word uh, listen to what it says verse 2 this is what the Lord Almighty says so here the Lord Almighty the Lord of all hosts the Lord of heaven and earth the Lord who governs all the spiritual beings and the one who is the ruler of the earth, a uh, very unique title uh, that is given to the Lord. It actually starts for the first time in the Bible being used in the book of Samuel. And so he says, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And so here, maybe we just need to stop and just pick up on some of these things. Uh, quite an incredible command, isn't it? Uh, the word to utterly destroy. There's a very particular Hebrew word that is connected to that. And it means just exactly as what it says. Another way of putting it is the ban. Put the ban on them and it means completely wipe them out. Um, and that is an incredible thing. And it is clarified for us uh, the word itself should have clarified it but the lord is speaking and he is um, making it even more clear uh, to uh, samuel what he needs to go and do he needs to totally destroy them and then uh, highlights spare not uh, anything that they have done and so in our culture and in our world that is uh, sounds like ethnic cleansing doesn't it um it is one of the shocking uh, things that uh, we find uh, not only here, a number of other times in the Old Testament as well. And here we are told partly why it is that they need to be killed like this. So in your Bibles, you need to maybe just flip back and we're not going to read the whole section, but you've got to go back to Deuteronomy, uh, sorry, to Exodus chapter 17. Um, and that's where we find the Amalekites and this uh, fight that uh, is going on. Uh, they, they are the first people that the Israelites kind of meet and are kind of attacked by after they were saved and brought out of uh, Egypt. Um, and there's this incredible fight. Uh, and every time uh, Moses, with the staff in his hand, raises his hands, uh, the, uh, the Israelites win. And every time his arms get tired and brings down the staff, uh, then the Amalekites win. Uh, and uh, eventually uh, guys come and help uh, Moses to keep the staff up. And uh, so Joshua, who was the leader of the kind of the army in those days, they overcame the Amalekites and uh, and uh, killed uh, them and, and drove them uh, apart. And then in verse 14, you find these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And so there you find a very, very uh, strong language, isn't it? Uh, God says, write down this, Moses, so that even though Joshua is now one, time is coming when I'm going to completely blot them out. Uh, and fascinating enough, uh, 
this there's another reference in Deuteronomy 25 verses 17 to 19 that sounds almost exactly the same as what is going on here. And so here's a very clear that uh, God has uh, determined uh, that the Amalekites uh, must go. It's in, actually in verse 15 and 16 where we get a little bit of an insight into what is going on. So Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my staff really. The staff that he's been holding up that people could look at. And then he said, and the new NIV translation is very good at this. Uh, it's changed from the old NIV translation. Um, very, very helpful translation because it captures the heart of it. It says, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Malachites from generation to generation. And so there you find that this fascinating uh, thing is, is that this war with Israel uh, is a war with the Lord. And very particularly, uh, there were some other wars. Uh, this one is particularly highlighted uh, for us. Uh, and the text makes quite clear uh, that God is absolutely dead sins against the Malachites. Now, what is very interesting, and uh, I just want to go over a little slight tangent here, um, is that the word ban is used a number of times in the Old Testament. And one of the fascinating things is, is that it's only used of certain nations and not all nations that lived in the land of Canaan as the Israelites came up out of Egypt. And what is absolutely fascinating is that all the nations uh, that it is used about, where they need to destroy them entirely, were nations that had actually a very interesting uh, connection between them. They were nations that uh, had descendants uh, from the Nephilim uh, that we read about in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, uh, so before the flood, um, uh, the sons of God um, came down and uh, had uh, sexual intercourse with the daughters of men. Um, and uh, increasingly, I'm of the conviction, uh, and I've changed a, 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 a while ago, that those sons of God aren't talking about men. It actually talks about angels. Um, uh, that's really what it's referred to. Uh, divine beings, in one sense, that came down and had sex with daughters. And they produced the Nephilim, these giants. Um, and you find these giant clans uh, kind of uh, everywhere in Canaan um, by the time. they were Some of them were driven out beforehand, uh, even by Esau. And that is where the interesting link is with the Amalekites. Because the Amalekites are descendants of Esau through one of Esau's sons who took a concubine uh, from the Horites. Um, that uh, was in Canaan, and the Horites are associated with the giant clans um, of uh, the descendants of the Nephilim, of those whom God has uh, purposed to destroy. Um, and so, fascinating, this is indeed a cosmic war. Uh, this is a spiritual war that is, in one sense, physical. And so these descendants, uh, all of those descendants, all of those nations that has these giant descendants were to be hit by the ban. Uh, but other nations had to be overcome and subdued and things like that. And so here you find when you start to read the rest of the Old Testament that part of the reason why they need to go is because they were actually in a cosmic battle preventing God's people from coming to God. And they were the descendants of the rebellious angels um, whom God has uh, rejected and punished and partly that is why uh, they need to be um, destroyed completely so i hope that helps a bit there's a whole lot of questions around it and maybe uh, for those who want to join us in the evening uh, you can come and ask some more questions and we can look at some more details about that 
Uh, but that's the one side. The other side, in one sense, is obviously that we know that the consequences of sin is death. God said, if you disobey me, you will die. And obviously, Satan was the one who kind of convinced them it's not true. Uh, and it turned out to be true. And so a little bit further in the story, if you go uh, with, um, with back to Samuel chapter 15, um, when Saul describes, uh, sorry, when Samuel describes further for Saul uh, the details of what's going on, uh, he actually uses the word uh, for sinner, verse 18. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, those sinful people, the Malachites. And so there again, you find that the judgment for sin is death. And uh, that is uh, something we know. Um, and it's shocking, isn't it? Um, this is a story that reminds you that sin's punishment does not only bring death, it brings annihilation. It destroys literally everything. And here you have a small picture of this reality of God judging uh, sin. Uh, this particularly, uh, the descendants of the Nephilim is going to be completely banned. Uh, but death is the punishment for all sin. And uh, that reminds us uh, that God is the God who judges the earth. The earth is his. Um, and he can judge in one sense uh, when he wants to. Uh, as well as in what way he wants to judge. Um, and so here God has raised up a king specifically to bring about his purposes. And here are these very, very uh, particular kinds of enemy. And God says to uh, Saul, uh, now go and do what I have promised I would do. And now that I have a king, uh, ultimately, I am wanting you to bring that to fulfillment. And so Saul goes and he starts out very well. Verse 4 is very interesting. The word summon means he made to them to listen. Uh, he forced them to listen and the men came together. Um, and uh, he sets up his first uh, attack. He saves the Kenites and we read about the Kenites as well uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 17. They were some of the good guys who helped and they were uh, uh, connected to uh, Moses' uh, father-in-law, Jethro. Uh, you can go and read about that. And so he spares them. They are not under the ban. And he makes sure that he keeps that word. It's only the Malachites is under a ban. And then he goes and he attacks and he starts this incredible war. And it uh, is one of the whole south part of uh, uh, Israel, right down to uh, just east of Egypt. That's an enormous area that he was fighting these Amalekites and uh, and killed them. And, and then we read uh, that uh, he almost did everything that God said that he should do. And uh, that's where part of the difficulty uh, starts to um, actually come in. Verse 8, And he took Agar, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agar and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat, calves and lambs, everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed and so there's an interesting play uh, the two words totally destroy and spare the two words that actually started this command of god and um, god said they both mean the same thing totally destroy and don't spare and uh, uh, samuel just totally destroys some things but spares other things that he reckons um he can and so here you find uh, this jaw. Uh, did Saul listen to the voice of the word of the Lord? That is the great question. Um, and 
fortunately, we are given in this section that we are looking at today, uh, we are giving three responses uh, to this reality. And the first response actually comes from the Lord himself. And we read in verse 10, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. Why? Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And so there we find the verdict of the Lord. Uh, that Saul has not done what God has specifically raised him up uh, to do. Not the only thing, but a very specific thing that God has raised him up to do. And uh, Saul has not done it. Uh, we will see uh, the details of this whole interaction in the next section. And we'll learn something more about this. But here we find uh, in one sense very straightforward. The Lord who has given the command says that the one who was commanded didn't do what he was saying. And then we find uh, we have uh, another response. And we find uh, the response of Samuel. Uh, and Samuel was angry. And he cried out to the Lord all that night. And that's an interesting uh, So the Lord is in one sense sad, if we can use that, allowed to use that language, uh, that he made Saul king because uh, Saul has disobeyed and has not followed and has not carried out and has turned away, turned aside after, away from the Lord. And Samuel is angry. Now, we don't know why he's angry. Uh, maybe we could speculate at some stage a little bit more about it. Was he angry at Saul? Um, uh, was he angry at himself that he listened to the people and appointed Saul um, and took the request to the Lord? Or was he angry at the Lord for having appointed Saul when he told the Lord it's not a good idea uh, to set up a king? So that's one of those interesting ones. Uh, we are not told exactly, um, but it does tell you that uh, whatever Saul did, uh, Samuel recognizes there's something seriously wrong here. And he's angry. And he cries out to the Lord uh, the entire night. And then we see in verse 12 a very short little summary in, in action. Uh, we will see his, um, his understanding uh, in words, uh, also important, uh, in, from verse 13 onwards. But we are just going to end up to verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul had gone to Carmel. Now, that's not the Carmel at the top. Uh, that's a, this is another Carmel in the south of Judah. Uh, there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. And so here you find uh, Saul's own uh, verdict on his, uh, uh, his mission, his campaign. Uh, he goes and he sets up a monument for himself. It, the language in, in the Hebrews is a little bit more... Uh, uh, um, uh, kind of a personal, it says, he set himself uh, up a place uh, at Carmel. So he set up himself as a monument. In And, and the language is also very interesting. Uh, there's strong hints that it's something that he started to do, um, but it seems like he's not yet completed it. Some theme that has been running through uh, this whole thing. So what is incredible is that here you find that God's king, whose major, number one thing that he had to do was to listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. And here we find uh, that the Lord says uh, he doesn't and he didn't. Um, and Samuel is upset and Saul congratulates himself by putting up a monument for himself. So the question I guess we need to ask is, uh, is this the kind of king that uh, can 
and should uh, rule um, and therefore uh, have the authority to bring about uh, the kingdom of God, the purposes of God, um, and ultimately uh, brings about the justice of God uh, on this earth. And I take it that uh, one probably uh, knows almost instinctively uh, that uh, that is not the case. Uh, someone who cannot listen uh, to the voice of the word of the Lord uh, is someone who therefore will not be able to bring about uh, the justice um, and the kingdom of God. Um, and so that's really the, the point that I want us to once it's almost stop by and just quickly highlight. There are two things that I just want to quickly pick up on. And that is one that um, we are looking for a king who is able to listen uh, to the voice of the words of the Lord. And uh, ultimately, uh, we are jumping all the way ahead as Christians to the New Testament, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has always listened to the word of the voice of the Lord. And he has only done what his uh, father has told him, and he's done whatever his father has told him. And those two kind of words, the only and whatever's, uh, kind of run through quite a number of passages in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is the one who never acts uh, on his own authority, and he never acts as his own authority. He only acts only what the Lord says, and whatever the Lord says he should do. And so in that way, he sets himself up and shows himself to be the one who is able to represent mankind as the true human. Uh, because every human, uh, going all the way back to Genesis uh, uh, chapter uh, 2, when God gave Adam and Eve the first command, was to actually obey him, to listen and to obey, and to weigh that peculiar voice of the word of the Lord, and to determine that that is the one bit of information that I really, really need to take to heart and need to follow. And so Jesus Christ, in that sense, shows himself uh, to be that one. Uh, Satan has got nothing against him. Satan can't find anything against him. Jesus, at his trial, uh, they had to make up stories on how to uh, prosecute him, and they couldn't agree. Even the guys who lied couldn't lie together and uh, to stick. Uh, they couldn't find two people to say the same thing. Um, and so the whole entire reality of Jesus' life is that he's the one, one who has never uh, done wrong in that sense, and he's never disobeyed the word of God, uh, and no one could pin any sin on him and so he in that sense becomes the king uh, of kings and it's exactly in that category that we want to pick up in the new testament that the new testament tells us that god has appointed a man to judge the living and the dead um one day and he will judge justly and righteously um god has set up that day and there's quite a number of references to that and so here we find that the one who lived among us, like us, in the same kind of context, have always listened to God. He is the one who is the one who has got the right, therefore, and the understanding and the inside information uh, to actually be the true judge of everyone, the living and the dead. And so even death, in one sense, now it does not make one escape that reality of ultimate judgment. And so Jesus Christ is the judge of the world. And the incredible thing is, is that Jesus Christ is also the one who willingly became the judged one of the world so that he may actually offer freedom from 
the wrath of God at the judgment because he is paid for the penalty of sin. So this is not an easy passage to accept all these things and one can get quite upset. And I take it if we, in our culture, we hate the word judgment. Um, we don't like it. And I take it as the reason we do that is because we take sin and rebellion uh, to be something that is not that serious. And in this passage, we see that God takes sin and rebellion extremely, extremely serious. And that judgment is really the most one of the most important things that needs to happen uh, for life to be truly life. That sin and evil and wickedness must be judged. And Jesus is the perfect one who has done it all for us. And so he invites us, come to me because I have been judged for you so that you may escape the righteous judgment of God for everyone who does not admit that they have rebelled against the Lord of hosts. And so this passage really encourages, isn't it? How careful do you hear the voice of the word of God uh, as a general principle? So Jesus would say, he who has ears, let him hear what I'm saying. Um, how you hear uh, will determine in one sense how you will be judged. Um, and so we realize that listening is very important. And sometimes the consequences are not that uh, bad, uh, but sometimes the consequences are severe. And the consequences for not listening to the word of God is judgment. As we saw in this passage, actually annihilation. That that and those who are opposed to God ultimately will be judged. And the New Testament gives the word be thrown into the second death, um, which is an eternal death. And so, friends, brothers and sisters, Christians, here's an incredible thing, isn't it? Let us ask the good Lord to help us to grow in our sensitivity to distinguish and to discern the voice of the word of the Lord. And in that way, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the word of the Lord says that there is no salvation outside of Christ Jesus and that every human being needs the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And everyone needs to come to him and uh, ask him to forgive. And he says, whoever calls on my name, I'll forgive. And so today we live in a time of salvation. Uh, we go out and we tell uh, all those people that we know, family, friends, uh, acquaintances, colleagues, um, just random strangers. Uh, we know that uh, they are in need to hear the voice of the word of God specifically the voice of the word of God in Jesus Christ so that they may have their sins forgiven and so that they may not be judged by the Lord. So here's a great encouragement. Hold on to this word. Let it sit until you can accept it. Uh, let it affect the way you look at yourself. Let it affect the way you look at the Lord. Let it affect the way that you look at other people. In one sense, we are sent to go and plead uh, and share and warn and encourage people to listen to the voice 
the word of the Lord as it is expressed in Jesus Christ. So today we don't go out with sticks and stones as we said last week or a couple of weeks ago. We actually go and we proclaim and share the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have these passages in your word, passages that are highly upsetting, and yet they are passages that remind us of the reality that we cannot live in a world and we cannot have the good um, if there is sin and rebellion. And here we see that the great sadness uh, is that uh, your king Saul, uh, who was appointed by you over your people, um, decided that there are some things he would obey and there are some things he would um, not. And uh, we see your verdict, uh, that you are regret that you have made him king. And so, O oh Lord, we pray that we will learn to discern, specifically to hear the voice of the word of, of your word in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would um, indeed help us to weigh it until it weighs as heavy as you say it should. How heavy does Jesus weigh um, in our understanding? And so, Lord, we thank you for the, for the wonder of the fact that you have given us today to be aware of this issue. And so we pray that you will help us to buy out the time um, to do what we need to do in one sense, to give ourselves some space to sit and to listen so that we may be able to discern if we've listened to the voice of the Lord about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so thank you, Lord. Bring us to repentance, bring us to trust, bring us to understanding, bring us to acceptance, uh, Lord, bring us to joy. Uh, and so we thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for your grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you very much for listening. Next week we are going to finish off this chapter. And uh, so I hope to see you then. God bless. In Jesus' name. Bye-bye.